Hey, it's Lou Carloso, the host of the NMD Plus podcast, Bankadelic in Chicago. And yeah, I'm a dummy. <laughs> so it takes a really special person to write a book like Business Development for Dummies and not make me feel like I'm being talked down to. In fact, today's guest on Dave and Darm Demystify, Helene Panzerino, can make complex concepts relatable and get behind the fundamentals of what business owners need to do, the basics that will help them go far and succeed. And if you want to put it another way, she can even make a dummy like me feel like a smart cookie. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Dom Demystify Show. Dave and Dom demystify show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dom Mystery. Welcome everybody to this week's Dave and Dom Demystify show and we have a really special guest, Helene Panzerino. And the area that we're going to demystify, and Helene is the best person we could think of to bring in on this topic, is around SME banking. I know most of our audience will know you anyway, but for the few that don't, do you want to give us a bit bit of an intro to yourself? Sure, sure. And lovely to be with you both and with everyone who's listening. Oh, it's been a long time in working with SMEs and with the banks as well. I'm a recovering commercial banker. I started out in correspondent banking and then through running a software house and then working on funding, I wrote business funding for dummies. I spent over 25 years working with businesses on funding. So they're with the SMEs. I landed uh, helping some of our well-known fintechs raise finance and also plugging those SMEs in before creating the fintech scale program for genuine commercial engagement with my very good friend, Nectarios Leolios. And now I'm at Vacuum Labs for half of my day, constructing digital banking platforms or digital banks. And on the other half of my day, I'm still doing executive education. Fantastic. And you're not a native English lady, are you? You're from the US. Oh, I've been found out. (laughs) Even though I've been here forever. (laughs) You can't shake it. I think it's like one of those strong accents. No, you're right. I'm from New York, although my dad was Italian. So I am also, if your listeners could see, they would see my face and know exactly that I have Southern Italy stamped on it. And I had a German (laughs) mother, so I'm organized chaos. (laughs) Fantastic. Let's get straight into this topic because we know that the majority of businesses are SMEs, right? But banks don't really give them the love they deserve. Is that a fair comment? I think so. And I think it's nothing new. It's just that at the moment, if what we read is to be believed, we're looking to the SME stroke SMB community to help us turn the post-COVID corner. And that coupled with open banking, which gave SMEs the ability to share their data and give them access to more personalized or hyper-personalized products and services, 
that has brought them into the focus. And there's a bandwagon of people wanting to set up digital banking propositions, digital banks for them, and a bunch of other solutions. And for my own self, the danger is that they don't treat the owners with authenticity and with integrity and not to shove another piece of tech in front of them because they won't jump. And if they do jump, they won't stay. So you need to be you know, kind and authentic and actually bring a real solution. It has always been seen as a highly fragmented market. It's also got its different phases from the gig worker, the sole trader, to the micro business, to the small business, to the medium-sized business where you might see in Oakland, for example, servicing them before you get into the larger business. There was a belief, and maybe a little bit still, that there was a higher risk in lending to SMEs across the board and the margins weren't as good. So why bother when I can go for a larger company and it's the same amount of work to be able to get the money out the door? I'm interested in that kind of segmentation model, like you said it, it's the gig workers, the sole traders, the mom and pop shops, and then the slightly larger, and then it gets bigger and bigger. Right. But that's a segmentation model, right? I think for banks to create reach in a physical world. Is it still relevant in the digital side of things? That's fairly interesting. And I think to your point on top of the banks doing that, if you look at all the government support programs that have come out over the decades, they all go into those silos, into those segments, because that's also easier for them to say, okay, you're a business of one to 10 employees. We'll put you on the micro business support program with the micro loan. And we're going to need some of these business support programs to really step up now. And we've had them in the past. They're really going to have to do their job now. Digitally, I think that you're going to see a blend of the human with a bit of the digital. There'll be certain banks, certain customers that would prefer to be digital or can be digital. There'll be others that still want that human touch and also potentially depending on the size of a loan or whether it's asset finance or it's bridging loans or it's something a bit more esoteric, they might want to have that intelligence. Not forgetting that this is also an opportunity for digital to inform the relationship manager. So can we extract insights from transaction data, for example, share that not just with the business owner, but also with the relationship manager. And then I hopefully get as the owner something that's better for me and the bank or other financial institution or fintech gets to sell more products and services. For me, it's really interesting. I mean, I've gone through the process fairly recently of opening up a bank account as a sort of small business. And it's kind of different first time around, I guess, 15, 20 years ago, there was a relationship manager at the bank. And actually, you sort of felt like the bank was a real kind of partner. And, you know, I was lucky enough to go from being a small business to a medium business to being part of a large business. So I saw the whole commercial banking life cycle. Now it sort of feels like, I hate to kind of say it, but it's almost a race to the bottom in terms of what's there. So, you know, there's a lot of neobanks who are coming out with limited functionality. When I was going through my decision process, I was like, well, you know, I want my business to be a success. And I believe that banks should be partners to you. So I decided that the right thing, instead of going for a neobank, was to go for a more traditional bank. And actually, it was a traditional bank with a kind of neo offering. But the point being, you know, when I chatted to them was, 
I want to grow through that life cycle again. I sort of often think that banks don't do enough to promote that grow with us mentality. So that's a big thing. And, you know, to your point around data and products and all the other bits and pieces, there's just so much richness that they can do with business customers. Actually, while you were speaking, I was thinking about smaller banks because I love the relationship with the smaller banks. You know, I think that there is a community already there. You don't have to spend 400 million creating a community. They usually know whether it's an ag bank or it's, you know, just your local physical community. We have trust in them. I think the other side of that equation is that business owner needs to understand the finance that's available, the timing of it, pricing of it. I was looking at something today on bridging loans. There was a niche group that was talking about bridging loans. And I thought, how many people, 2% of the population, 9% of the business population, how many people know what a bridging loan is? How many people understood mezzanine finance when Santander started talking about it in mainstream? When I've worked with business banking in the past, I've always said, well, people don't know what they don't know. You've got to explain a bit more about what the market stall is. And I think People get so embedded in their jobs that they think, well, everybody must know what mezzanine finance is. And my brain starts shutting down immediately. You won't be big enough to need mezzanine finance. (laughs) (laughs) The thing is, though, everyone talks about this financial education, and that's really where we're coming from. But if you realise that the average reading age of the UK citizen is about, you know, 11 or 12 years old, then it's a huge gap. And you can't really blame the banks for not necessarily bridging that far in terms of terminology. But I definitely feel that there's much more that could be done. What things should existing banks do differently to help SMEs? There's a couple of things, and I agree with you. Now, of course, I wrote Business Funding for Dummies, and it's one of the hardest things to write because you're actually trying to write as if you knew nothing when you know a lot, and then you want to speak to an audience. For example, it might be, I think at the moment, women over 55 are quite a big group of new businesses in the UK. And if you come out of 30 years somewhere or you suddenly decide to take that 25% of your pension tax-free and you want to do something in business, well, just because you worked in a bank but didn't work in the finance side doesn't necessarily mean you understand that route. For me, I think before you can open a business, maybe, a bit radical here, you might have to, I don't want to call it a test, but you should be walked through some basic foundation, sort of boot campy education It is relatively easy to open up a bank account here. And then we see a lot of them failing because they run out of money and pointing out to people that one of the big reasons is your product doesn't really fit the market. And the other is that you're going to run out of money and maybe you should learn how to forecast and let's try and teach you that in a way that isn't condescending, that takes into account that if you're creative, you might be dyslexic. And so you think spatially and you don't think in a spreadsheet, for example, you know, let's try and think of our audience and present it in different ways. I can remember when I was doing my accounting in the bank when I first started, I was an arts person, Middle Eastern politics, 18th century German literature. And at that time, in the dark ages, they gave me a programmable calculator. And I was, I don't know what this is. <laughs> I've never, I've never, give me a typewriter. And as I was doing accounting, someone said to me, just think of it as a puzzle. And if something goes in, something goes out. And do the things that you know first, which are the expenses, because they're really easy to find. And then what always surprises me is how people don't think about their audience, Right. If you're a dentist and you're a nice person, but people don't like you because you're a dentist, how many times in a year are they going to come and see you? If you're lucky once and then you are having to figure out, well, 
how do I find 10 crowns and can I sell other services and how can I encourage them to just come in for good oral health, right? Because you have to think about how much money people spend with you and the frequency of it. And cash flow forecasting is simple, but right now it's going to be vital because forensic data about the way that I managed my account pre-pandemic is not going to be very helpful post-pandemic because everything right now is a little bit unreal. I've got money that I didn't necessarily want to borrow. I'm lucky if my business is going, but my forecasted behavior, 360 as well, the state of my mind and my vulnerability and my ability to be resilient is also going to have to come into play. And recently the FCA was doing a lot around resiliency for SME owners, but also vulnerability for every customer and how we interact and treat people and find out if they need help in that way. Unlike 2007, 2008, when 2009, 10 came, you could go to the wall, go over the wall, go under the wall, nobody really cared, let's face it. Now we care and that's great. So the combination of not knowing your forecasted data to give you great insight into going ahead, plus the way you're feeling about yourself and about your finances. I could lend you 5,000 pounds and you could make a repayment. Are you resilient or are you still vulnerable? We need to figure this out. Means that staff are going to have to be trained to deal with people in a good way. I got a letter and a 50 pound check from a high street bank was something that happened in 2010, about six months ago. Wow. Kid you not. <laughs> we didn't treat you very well and we're sorry. Here's 50 pounds. <laughs> I said to my husband, I'm really tempted to not put this in the bank. I just want to like stick it on the wall and say, shame on you. <laughs> so thankfully we're not doing that. And there are lots of companies that are working to try and work out what are the signs and how can we react in a kind way? And many of the banks won't know who their vulnerable customers are. I think you make a really good point, you know, when it comes back onto the SME side of things. And I just don't understand it, right? You know, every business that I run, we run it by cash flow. And you make that point. It's all about the cash flow and doing the forecasting. Why isn't there a facility in my account that does cash flow? Because I think, you know, A, as a business owner, that's what I have to do. So what I'm having to do now is reconcile my statement with my spreadsheet and then I can do my forecasting. If it was in the account, then I'd be more glued to my bank account, right? But secondly, you know, as a bank, if I have that information about your forecast, I'm going to be able to sell you some stuff, right? Which, you know, will help you, which if you're successful will help me, right? I mean, it's interesting because people like Zero or some of the other platforms are starting to kind of move in. Helene, as you mentioned with open banking and open finance, the reality is, is you can do all of that through zero and then your bank acts as just a facilitator of transactions, doesn't it? So, yeah, you know, there's a degree is... of disintermediation coming because of the great work that people like zero are doing. And you're right. I'm working with an organization called Tomato Pay, Tomato Pay. We can debate that. <laughs> <laughs> they relaunched. They used to be a fractal labs. And there is a peer-to-peer payment, and they're working with a large high street bank as well, exactly with that. And they're working with Untied. I think Untied has had some successful HMRC interactions for some of its customers in that way. For me, with some of these accounting packages, again, who's putting the numbers into the accounting package in the first place? And to Gary and the team at Zero, they do a lot of education. But if you put the numbers in incorrectly, your dashboard, back to your point about watching cash flow, 
is not going to be very helpful. So if the person who's shipping the stuff out for you, who's never touched anything financial, just seems to be the logical point and doesn't really get it, then your dashboard's useless and you're back to an Excel spreadsheet. Oh, yeah, yeah. And there are people like, I think the guys at Bond in the US are doing something with Excel to put Excel on steroids as well so that that loop is closed. But of course, you're both right. Then the bank has rich information. It has more time to spend with me because I'm saved hours and hours of admin to talk to me about things that might be useful. And also to see, you know, we know with OpenWork, the software can tell you if you're going in a direction that looks like you might be in trouble and they can intercede as a human. And that we're going to have to do a lot of that, I think, as we go forward, right? It's the bit about the data. You make a really good point. I'm running a business. The guy that you know we had as a bank manager basically spoke to the butcher, the hairdresser, the sweet shop, the hotel, B&B. He didn't understand when I said to him, every now and then we'll get this huge bit of license fee, but then for the next two years, we're servicing that client. So, you know, our revenue will go lumpy. Mm -hmm. He didn't really get that. But if he had that data in a system and then somebody in the back office is saying, well, actually across the UK, we've got 25,000 businesses like Darmesh's enterprise software company. The trend is like this, you know, the actual economic impact of whatever's going on is in this micro segment has impacted this. We can tell you whether he's going to make his payments or not, right? That additional input could actually easily come from the bank if they digitize the information that company is giving them anyway, right? And depending on where it is in the bank, to correct, like it's been siloed up to this point. So in the old school, we had silo where the data wasn't shared. So somebody might have had ONS data, somebody might have SIT code data, somebody might have data from somewhere else, right? You can always tell what your gross margin is supposed to be because there's data that you can look at and the profit and loss, and you go, mm, that's not right. Somebody knows why that is. Well, somebody did know, all school people did know. I'm sure they're learning now. But it was siloed. Now, theoretically, if you're in a much leaner digital offering that doesn't have all these silos and the data is there to be shared, it should be easier as long as the right data is going in, into the mix. But you're right, it is there. And there are some predictive cash flow tools that are aimed at people that are businesses that are not large enough to have a CFO, for example but need that role taken care of somehow. So it's interesting as we're going through this conversation, I'm thinking, well, for the world, it looks easy. Someone says, well, you plug in this accounting software and someone else says you get this digital <laughs> bank, right? And then it'll all happen. But along the way, there's all this, but I don't understand. I mean, I've got a very dyslexic brain as well. So I find it very difficult to look at spreadsheets. I find it very difficult to think about how things all kind of tie together. And when you're sort of starting a business, you're running so fast doing other things that you forget that you should be doing all of the other. So if you kind of look at this from a very human point of view, it is complex, whatever way you look at it. I so agree with everything you've said around things like hyper-personalization or identifying where people are at in terms of their business growth or if they've got problems and then kind of looking to intercede. And I think perhaps this is where the big banks generally have a big opportunity as well because they've got a lot of frontline staff and so they're actually taking those frontline staff and refocusing them around some of these things could be a really positive thing. I mean, I've heard some stat that the average RM, 70% of their time is kind of wasted on 
basic admin and you go well actually just point 20 percent of that 70 percent are adding value and you go well that could change a lot of businesses lives to be honest with you and there was that point where people would go out to the farm go out to the factory go out to the bakery you know people would come to your business and you'd have that relationship and then digital came in and everybody wasn't making a big thing out of it for me the hybrid is the answer also as long as there are business owners who are old enough to have grown up in the old system and are comfortable there, I feel like, why am I shoving you fully into digital if you don't want to be there? I'm not saying they don't have digital skills, but some people prefer to have that bit of human interaction. And again, I think after this year, where we had no human interaction and we saw some of the systems really not stand up to going fully digital, their cracks have been shown, particularly on the UX side of things. Banks can fix up, but we also might want to bring some of that back in and educate people. You know, there's business support schemes for as long as I started in 1998, I think, in Camden. After I sold the business and I realized that I didn't get enough money because my corporate finance skills were not up to scratch. I thought, no, I'm going to help other people. And I went around Croydon, West London. You know, I was everywhere on these then European funded at some point as well schemes. And what shocked me when I was writing the book is that not many people understand that there's a national enterprise association. There is a national network of business support where you can go in your locality and get help. There are things like the library, the British Library. You know, there are places you can go, but people aren't given that pack that says, go here. I used to bang on the door of the British Business Bank and say, please let me do a roadshow around the country and just get on my soapbox and talk to people in a very nice way about this is the type of funding And you know that 94% of you use credit cards or Uncle Louie, who's never going to talk to you again. Don't do that. And plan well and don't stand there and tell me, I think I need 50,000, but I'll be all right with five. Why? You just told me you need 50. You know, (laughs) go for it. That's what you need. It's okay to say that. You know, it's all right to use your money or someone else's money in that way if you've done your planning. And I think it's alien for a lot of people who haven't gone through financial services. It would have been for me when they first gave me that calculator. Organizations like the FSB and Enterprise Nation and IPSI and FPB do a really good job with their members. They've come to the fore in the last year as well. Why members can access the services that they have and the education that they have. I think the other thing about funding with people, I once came across a site years ago where The person didn't say, oh, I want to do a cash flow. What you put into it was, how do I figure out how much money I need to run my business for the next six months? As you would, right? Which I think is a nice way to try and think about how would I say it as the human and then give me a digital solution. So I was listening to a podcast yesterday about Customers Bank in the US. They have 12 branches. They use, I think, the Oaknode software during the first lockdown. They have some digital They also have people that speak to the community. And I thought that's just a lovely all around way to interact with the people that are in your community, be they a community of affinity. And so they're spread throughout the whole country, for example, or a physical community. And so you have an easier chance to engage with them. Well, that's a great way to finish. So thank you so much for your time and your insights, Helena. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Fantastic. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dan Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. 
Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.